Um, but the first reading is from Psalm 28. To you I will cry, O Lord, my rock. Do not be silent to me, lest if you are silent to me, I become like those who go down to the pit. Hear the voice of my supplications when I cry to you, when I lift up my hands towards your holy sanctuary. Do not take me away with the wicked, with the workers of iniquity, who speak peace to their neighbors, but evil is in their hearts. Give them according to their deeds and according to the wickedness of their endeavors. Give them according to the work of their hands. Render to them what they deserve, because they do not regard the works of the Lord, nor the operation of his hands. He shall destroy them and not build them up. Blessed be the Lord, because he has heard the voice of my supplications. The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusted in him, and I am helped. Therefore my heart glad, uh, greatly rejoices, with my song, I will praise him. The Lord is their strength, and he is the saving refuge of his anointed. Save your people and bless your inheritance. Shepherd them also and bear them up forever. Amen. In Matthew 16, verses 13 through 28, when Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So they said, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades, or some translations, hell, shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And he commanded his disciples that they should tell no one that he was Jesus the Christ. From that time, Jesus began to show to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes, and be killed and be raised the third day. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. But he turned, that's Jesus, and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. And then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross. And follow me, whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he will reward each according to his works Assuredly, I say to you, there are some standing here who shall not taste death till they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Amen. Amen. This passage before us this evening, uh, Matthew 16, verses 13 through 28. I know, I think everyone in this room heard Pastor Jeff Gleason peach, peach, 
preach on it last Sunday evening. I'm not going to, uh, Lord willing, contradict him in any way or seek to undo what he said. Uh, but what I would like to do is connect the first half of this text with the second half. So connect verses 13 through uh, 20 with the remainder of chapter 16. And as we come to that, I want to give you four points, four very simple points of uh, consideration. The first is the question that we will all be asked. The question that we will all be asked. The second is the certainty of the protection of those who answer this question rightly. The certainty of the protection of those who answer this question rightly. And then the third will be <clears throat> the manner of living of those who answer the question rightly. And then the fourth will be the vindication of those who answer this question rightly. So the question, the protection, the manner, and the vindication. All right, so what is this, this question? You saw it in verses 13 through 16. Parents, this is a good question to uh, ask your children on occasion, uh, even as you are asked yourself as you read the Bible and hear it uh, preached tonight. Uh, for if you've learned anything as you raise children in the faith, different children grasp things at different speeds and in different ways. And these most foundational questions are of the most importance. So when Jesus says, whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? This is not just a question for the disciples. It's not just a question for adults. It's not just a question for children. It's a question for everyone, a question that we all must answer. And indeed, the way that we answer does bear an eternal weight of significance, for we cannot be saved, we cannot know God in any saving way apart from answering this question correctly. This is what it means to make a profession of faith. This is what it means to affirm Christ before men so that he will not deny us before his Father. This question that will be asked is, who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? All right? And a good way to understand how you might answer this question would be to imagine if someone asked you, who is Jesus? Who is the Lord Jesus Christ? Now, you can say more than Peter. Probably can't say less and really grasp who Christ is. You could say something like, he's my Savior, right? That's, that's accurate and good, right? But we have to know who the Lord Jesus Christ is because who the Lord Jesus Christ is, how we answer that question determines the rest of this passage for us. It determines whether we are going to be those who are prevailed against. It determines whether we are going to be those who uh, deny Christ or deny ourselves. And it determines, as uh, in the providence of God, Psalm 28 said, it determines whether our judgment will be according to wickedness or according to righteousness. So what is this question? It is, who do you say that I am. And one more practical way to see this out work, uh, worked out in your life. It's, it's a great question to ask yourself the first thing in the morning as a way of motivation. Who is Jesus? Right? That will season the rest of your day. Who you say Jesus is 
from your very first waking moment. So the second thing right, is the certainty of the protection of those who answer this question rightly. The certainty of the protection of those who make a sound profession of faith. And as the book of Hebrews says, hold fast to it. But God gives us this certainty. I don't take him to be referring directly to Peter, but to the profession of Peter. You could argue, as, as Pastor Jeff did, and as most uh, in-depth commentators will, that Peter was in some way the, the leader of the apostles. But then when you see verse 18, you see that, the, or verse 19, the, that which is given to Peter is the same thing that's given to all the other apostles when Jesus breathes his spirit on them in the Gospel of John, the binding and loosing and all those things. So whatever Peter receives here seems to be synonymous with what the other apostles receive. But what is it that is promised? Right? What is it that is promised, not just to Peter, but to all who hold on to this rock? Right? All to hold on to this profession. It is the gates of hell shall not prevail Against it, Yes, it means the church, but the church is the body of those who make this profession. There's a promise of protection. The church is protected both in its profession and in its ministry. You could say that heaven will cease to exist. If heaven would cease to exist, then the keys of the kingdom will cease to exist. But as long as heaven exists... So the keys of the kingdom will be exercised at least somewhere in the world throughout history. The Westminster Confession actually addresses this point and says that in all ages there will be a church who professes the name of Christ that will not ultimately be overcome by Satan. It will be guarded. It will be protected. It will uh, not be prevailed against. Rather, it will prevail against the gates of hell. Now, uh, maybe you've heard this before. Uh, Sam and I were talking uh, last Sunday evening, I think it was, uh, after the sermon. But something that you find in some commentaries uh, is this, this point about where Jesus was when he said this. He was in Caesarea Philippi. And this place was one of the chief places of pagan worship that had an actual location that was often described as the gates of hell. Right? The, the mouth of hell itself could be found in Caesarea Philippi because of the corruption. So when Jesus said this, some would argue that he was more or less pointing to that place, saying the gates of hell, this place and all places like it will not prevail against this testimony, this truthfulness of who the Lord Jesus Christ is. This is a promise for those who answered the question Rightly, this is a promise of protection. The third thing, that, that previous section, the second one about protection from the gates of hell, right? Uh, that's, that's a promise of protection from something out there, in a sense. But this third point, is it's a promise uh, as it relates to the manner of living, because as Christ works out in verses 21 through 26, he shows us how those who make that profession rightly, who say, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, in verses 21 through 26, he begins to show us what it is to live. Indeed, how those who make this sound profession will conduct themselves. They will live in a certain way, 
And this protection is important because when you consider the way that they're called to live, they will need tremendous protection. Right? What is that way of living? Well, it starts in verse 24, more specifically. You could say that Peter's uh, false answer, his wrong answer in verse uh, 22 this, to the sufferings of Christ. That's, that's a beginning of the answer of a sort, but he has to rebuke Peter. No sooner had Peter made the sound profession that he turns around and is basically identified with Satan. He misunderstands the commission of Christ. But for those who make the right profession, who understands what Peter got wrong, then we live in this protection. How will we live? We will come after Christ. Verse 24. We will deny ourselves. We will take up our cross and follow him. If we desire to save our life, quite frankly, we'll have to lose it. If we desire to lose our lives, excuse me, if we seek the loss of our lives and submission to Christ, we will find it. What does it profit a man, Jesus says, if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? You can gain the world, but you do not keep your soul with it. What shall a man give in exchange for his soul is the question. So this tells us this, this manner of living, this, this mindset. And I cannot think of a section of Scripture off the top of my head, and as I was meditating on it this afternoon, a section of Scripture more contrary to the world than these, what is it, one, two, three verses. Cannot think of a section of Scripture more contrary to the world in these three verses. Sadly, it's contrary to the church in some ways, a false church. But let's just address a worldly, non-Christian mindset from the get-go. Does the world tell you to follow someone else? Never. Right? Follow your own dreams. Right? Does the world tell you to deny yourself? No. Gratify yourself. Do whatever you wish. Choose whatever it is to your heart's content, no matter what may come. That's when you really love yourself. What about taking up your cross? Pfft, no suffering, right? Why would I choose that? Following Christ. God forbid the world will never say such a thing. What about verses 25 and 26? Whoever will save his life shall lose it. And whoever will lose his life for Christ's sake shall find it. I made this, this point this afternoon in preaching to the shut-ins that this would certainly not be a line or a persuasive mode of writing to get you on the New York Times bestseller list, right? Or on the Christian self-help section, even, right? It's so radical, to use a buzzword of, of 10 years ago or more, but it's true. It is to the root. It is cutting off so much that we are not only naturally tempted to think that we have to battle against, but it is to the root cut off of the way the world tells us to think. Being a Christian is following Jesus Christ. It is denial of self. It is taking up a cross, and it is following Him. This is not a one-time statement. John says in 1 John 2, 6, that any man who says he abides in Christ must live as he himself lived. Christ himself. So don't be surprised when Christianity hurts. It led your Savior to the cross for your salvation. And what is this call that Christ gives us but the very call to the life that he himself lived? 
Christ denied himself. Christ came after his father, as it were. He pursued his father. He said, the will of my father is my food. Deny yourself, he says. Take up the cross. Where does he get that imagery from? He hasn't died on the cross yet, but it was coming. Take up your cross and follow me. Notice he doesn't say follow the prophets. Doesn't say follow Abraham. Doesn't say follow the apostles. He doesn't say follow the church. He says follow me. Who is Jesus? He is the Christ, the son of the living God, whom we must follow. He is the one who promises us protection as we make that right profession and hold to it. He is the one who gives us a manner of living just like himself. And he is the one who promises vindication. He promises that we will be rewarded for living this way. A question that I often feel myself tempted to ask. Is it worth it? I know I've asked you that before in a sermon. But it's a question you need to ask yourself often. All the work that you put in. All the effort that you put forward to uh, care for your family, to honor the Lord Jesus, to go about your day in a way that honors the Lord. Why do you do that if there's not a day coming? You do it because there is a day coming and you know it's worth it. There will be a day of vindication. The confession also talks about this at the last, where it talks about the last day and the resurrection from the dead. It says that those who have served the Lord, those who have loved the Lord Jesus Christ will be publicly in front of all, all who have ever lived, acknowledged, that's mine, God will say, and acquitted, right? Eternally vindicated for choosing to live this way, for having the Father in his mercy open our eyes to these things, that Jesus is the Christ. Out of a great gift of God, out of his gracious provision, enabling us to say with our lips and hold in our hearts that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Out of that flows this cross-centered living, this willingness to come after Christ, to deny yourself, to take up your cross and to follow him, to lose your life for his sake, knowing that when you do so, you're actually saving your life. No, dear Christian, that you are rewarded for living like this. This is a message that we have to hammer home with our, our young people. I don't just mean our children, because you know, some of you have adult children here. I mean people like Talia's age, Stella's age, Naomi's age, Florence's age, the age of other young children that would be here. Because that's going to be a tremendous temptation for them in a way that it wasn't for us coming up. Right? It's not worth it. Look at how those Christians are being treated. Because the treatment of Christians is getting worse and worse. Why should I do that if it's not worth it? Why should I even care? They might say. They might be tempted to believe. We encourage them with the vindication, the truth of the vindication of those who say, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, and that we're willing to stand no matter the cost. Yes, Christianity is worth it. But remember the foolishness of this call to the world as you live and evangelize, working against your own flesh, the flesh of your children and grandchildren, and those whom you seek to bring to Christ. Remember 
how foolish this is. It's not just foolish today. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians, it was foolish then too. And you have to simultaneously remember that every man, as Psalm, what was that, Psalm 28 says, and as Matthew 16 says, every man will be rewarded according to his works. So come after Christ. The judgment is coming. Deny yourself. The judgment is coming. Take up your cross and follow him. The judgment is coming. No one knows or finds themselves except those who follow Christ. Ever heard somebody say that, that they're going on a quest to find themselves? Based on Scripture, the only people who find themselves are the people who deny themselves. For Christ must increase and we must decrease. Amen. Let's pray. O Savior Jesus Christ, Almighty Lord and our Master, we 